Hi, listeners. I hope you're having a lovely summer and you found your favorite local water feature to weather this heat wave we're having in Europe. I'm Heidi Aho, the content writer at Efficode and host of our DevOpsana podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Like the hardcore thins that we are, we like saunas in the summer as much as we do in the winter, as there's nothing better than a dip in the lake following a sauna sesh. Similarly, Even though things have wound down a little in the office as schools have broken up for summer, DevOps doesn't hibernate in July. In fact, the summer break is a great time to read and listen for pleasure, and that's very much what we're serving you today. Today, we're joined by Severi Haverila, a senior consultant at Efficode and all-round good guy. A little birdie from our Dutch office told me Severi was the guy to talk to about containers and orchestration. I've invited Severi up to the sauna lounge with me and Dila this morning to spill the tea. So let's get cooking. Tell us about yourself, Severi. What do you do at Efficode? Hi, Heidi, and, and thanks for having me here. It's always a pleasure to visit the sauna. Likewise. <laughs> uh, yeah, I. my name is Severi and I started at Efficode in 2015. And... Back then, I, I was just coming back from my, from my exchange here in, in Vienna, and, and a couple of my friends were were working at Efficode, and somehow I ended up, ended up here as well. Brilliant. And originally, I actually started in the software department, but somehow, pretty randomly, I ended up working more in the DevOps field. So my first project was more in, in software, but after that, I actually been more involved in the DevOps DevOps stuff. And for the past two years. More or less, I've been working basically full-time with containers and container orchestration nice. technologies. And besides that, I've been been talking at a few few meetups and, and conferences as well. And also keeping trainings in the, in the field of containers. Brilliant. So let's dive right into all this container goodness. Could you explain containers in 30 seconds? I can try Don't put the timer on. Oh, okay. I, was reaching, I was reaching for my phone. It's like, this is like a loose 30 seconds, like All a right, subjective perfect. 30 seconds. Okay. Um, yeah, so containers, uh, containers are basically a uniform way to package your software so that you can, you can easily deploy it to different en- environments. And what it basically means that you can easily be sure that if something, something works on your development environment, if you're running it in a container, it should be working in production as well and also in the test environments. So that's containers. Fantastic. And I think that, that was 30 seconds. That was 30 seconds. <laughs> um, now let's move on to orchestration because the two are related. Yes. Could you do that in 30 seconds? Orchestration, go. Let's see. Well, containers are great and and if you're running on your local laptop or running a few services, you can you can really easily do it with just running Docker, for example, and Docker Compose. But what about when you have to run something in, in production? You have multiple servers where you're running your workloads on, then container orchestration comes comes into play. Uh, basically, it abstracts all the all the infrastructure from you, so you, so you don't have to think think about on which particular machine your containers are are going to be run. That's all of that is handled by the container orchestration, and also all all other things. For example, rolling back to a different version of your application or doing updates to your application. That's also handled by the container orchestration system. Fantastic. Okay, let's move on to the benefits of containerization. Why, why would companies do this? The thing that you can be sure that 
if something works on your own machine, it's, it's going to work also in the development environment and also in, in the production environment. All the dependencies that, that you have, have running, they are the same. There's like there's less things that can go wrong and, and can be different depending on the environments. But also I think one really important part is that how, how you can onboard new developers mm. to your development team. And if you're running containers, basically the only thing people have to do is, is install Docker, for example, and then run Docker Compose up, and, and then you're good to go. The whole microservice service architecture is up and running. So you don't have to think which version of Java should I have running on my machine, which version of Golang should I be running, and, and stuff like that. So it's really easy to kind of document your, your whole application and automate it at the same time. Cool. That sounds quite silver bullety to me, like this will solve all your woes. Uh, but are there cases where containers aren't the right solution for, for a company? Well, yeah, it's true. Containers are, are pretty, pretty awesome. I have to agree with that. But of course, if you're working with some legacy monolithic applications, those might be difficult running in containers. For example, when you think about containers versus VMs, VMs, uh, applications that are running in, in the virtual machines, they, they are more stable, let's say. Mm. Containers are, are more, they come and they go. If one container goes down, you could just create a new one. And if your application cannot handle this, then you might be better off running your, your application in, a, for example, a virtual machine. Just, just to give you an example. Okay, so it's not all, all rosy on the containerization front. Are there any other pitfalls that you've seen in your work with containers? Well, of course, when, when developing software to be run on, on containers, you have to actually like realize that, that the software is running in containers. So you cannot still live in the world where you have this one server where your applications is going to be run. When working with containers and, and, and microservices and, and stuff like that, you have to be, you have to build your applications to be pretty fault tolerant. So for example, mm. if, if your application consists of, of multiple containers, let's say three containers and and these containers need to talk to each other, what happens if one of the containers goes goes down? Uh, does it crash the whole system or, or, can the, or can the rest of the system still function and stuff like that. So you have to kind of always think that what happens if something fails. And could you provide some tips or what are the ways that in-house teams can create these fault tolerant systems? Yeah, of course. Uh, well, the first thing is what I already mentioned is that you have to kind of always have in mind in which environment your your software is running. It's running in containers and you have to create your software in a way that that one of the services might go down for, for a couple of seconds, for example, and the rest of the system should be able to handle that. But uh, also how you can do it is, is, for example, if you're doing requests to the other services, you should have some timeouts in place for the request. You should do some retries. So maybe the first request could be a quick one. And if it fails, then you could have a longer timeout for the second one and try it again and maybe try a third time and so on. And also maybe one of the services at some point really doesn't start behaving. 
So you could implement circuit breakers, which basically means is that uh, that the other services don't even send any more requests to the broken service because they have realized that it doesn't work. And mm. after a while, they start trying it again and again. And if it starts working, then then it kind of comes back into play. And and what you also can do is that you have to think which services are the critical ones and which are not. So, for example, if mm. you're running a web shop, you could Let's say your uh, shopping cart service is, is broken, but it doesn't mean that the whole website should go down, right? You, quite often the users, they just want to like scroll through the products and see like what kind of discounts you're having and stuff like mm, that. Yeah. And they don't necessarily put anything to the shopping cart. So it's totally fine that, that maybe the shopping cart doesn't work for, for some time, but everything else works. Okay. But then again, of course, you can have stuff that's more critical. Like if the whole product inventory is gone, you don't have any products in your web shop. So it's kind of useless at that point. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so you have to always balance the pros and cons of the services and how critical they are. And if something doesn't work, then how can you mitigate the the, the risks? But that sounds a little scary if you're like customers aren't able to buy from you for hours at a time is that like a real risk you're talking about are containers that risky it's not about the containers it's about the software that you're running in the containers if if, if your software has has a flaw then it it doesn't work it doesn't matter if it's running in a container or not but at least your customers can scroll your system and look at the products that you're offering like the other option would be that customers couldn't open your web shop at all Cool. I mean, uncool, but, you know, cool to, to, to know that. Yeah. Um, okay, let's dig deeper into orchestration. Uh, I'm curious, is orchestration the same as automation here? Mm, I would say it's it's not. I mean, kind of is, but it, it kind of isn't. Yeah. Let's say automation can mean many things. It can, it can mean automating, for example, your testing and automating your deployments and, and, and stuff like that. And container orchestration, it, it has many things that include automation. It has many parts that have automation. So for example, doing updates to your software, you don't have to manually change the running containers in, in the system. The orchestrator will, will handle that for you. But then again, you can also build build automation using using container orchestration. So you can create CI, CD pipelines and and such using the container orchestration system you have. So I'd say automation is a really big thing and container orchestration helps you automate some some things. Wow, thanks for that. Um, Automation is the backbone of DevOps. So super interesting to hear how orchestration and automation relate to each other. Uh, now let's move on to new tech and what kind of new tech are you looking forward to in the container and orchestration field? Yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff happening and new things keep on coming up all the time. But I think one of the really interesting things is the uh, that people are able to create or extend the Kubernetes API, for example, so they can create custom resource definitions. And one good example of this would be that if you wish to run databases in, in, in Kubernetes, for example, and 
previously this could have been pretty difficult. So for example, running a clustered database, it, it might have needed some work or it might have not been even feasible to do. Mm-hmm. But using these custom resource definitions, for example, uh, Cube, there's a project called KubeDB, which basically automates the database creation for you. So you don't have to think mm-hmm. about all the complex logic that's involved. You just have to basically tell Kubernetes that I wish to have one uh, Redis database running, which has three instances and then it should be clustered. And I, w- I would like to have some backups every now and then and stuff like that. So you don't have to implement the logic yourself. Somebody else who knows more about that stuff has already done it for you. And you just have to define what you want, basically. And have you test driven that? already i've i've tried it i haven't used it anywhere in production or anything like that but i've tried it and it's not ready yet but it looks really promising fantastic and another thing that comes to my mind as well is is running uh, instead of running containers running functions so you can actually run uh serverless functions in in kubernetes as well at least there's a project for that but i haven't i haven't tested in that my that myself, but it might be an interesting thing to to actually kind of use your existing Kubernetes cluster to run functions, so not running containers per se. Great. So I know what you're doing during your summer break now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you mentioned serverless. Yes. That's definitely getting more uh, popular. Now the question I have is: Are containers like last season, or should companies still be investing in containers? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, again, there's no silver bullet. And actually in the background, when when cloud providers are, are, are providing you with serverless possibilities, they are using containers in the background. So containers are not disappearing anywhere. Okay, so the, yeah, serverless isn't replacing. Yeah, it's, it's not replacing. I mean, of course, for some things, serverless might be the, the right solution. Uh, let's say you have an API that has pretty infrequent requests coming in, it might be a bit costly to keep a container running all the time just for serving these requests. But then again, if you have a, have an API that, that gets, gets requests constantly and, and gets a lot of load, so to say, uh, then it actually might cost way more to run, run your service as serverless than in a container. But again, mm-hmm. it, it really depends. And one drawback that serverless has is that uh, it might take some time. If, if your service hasn't been used for a while, there's a thing called a cold boot, which basically means that in the background, um, the system has to pop up a container that has your code running in, the, in it. So it might take more time to give a response to the request made to the service. Whereas in containers, the container is already ru- running there, so there's no need to wait. Nice. Um, We are having a whale of a time and we're nearing the end of uh, our interview. Thank you so much. Um, So next, I want to talk about Docker. Um, Are they still going to be the tool of choice for containerization? Yeah, that's a difficult question to say. I'd say if you start are starting with containers now, you should go with Docker. I mean, I'm I'm sure that's that's a good good tool of choice. Uh, But there's gonna there's there has been a lot of standardization in in the field and and for example in Kubernetes you don't have to run Docker anymore you can you can run many other there are many other options for for the container runtime available uh, 
So could you could you name some of those alternatives? Yeah, sure. So for example, Cryo and ContainerD are some, and then there's a Rocket, for example, from CoreOS. Nice. So there's plenty of options available, but I think at this point, Docker is still still the one to go with, mm-hmm. and probably in the future it's gonna be more like you have might have some specific needs how you want to have your runtime. Maybe you want that the containers are starting faster or something like like mm-hmm. some different criterias for your runtime. Maybe there you could end up choosing a different runtime than Docker, for example. But changing these should be pretty easy because there's already standardization available. So it it basically only requires you to install a different runtime. You don't have to recreate all your containers, let's say. Okay, so you're not locked into one no, provider no. there. And the same thing goes for creating the containers. Now, at least I've done actually everything with, with Docker, but there's, for example, a project called Builda, which should give you more flexibility mm-hmm. when creating creating the containers and, and managing the layering in the containers, for example. But again, I think for starting, Docker is, is a good choice. And yeah. you never know, like if you have some specific needs later on, then you might have to change something. But I don't think you can go yeah. that much wrong with Docker either. Yeah, it's not like you can't change later down the line. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Fantabulous. So we have reached our final question. Thank you so much for joining us again. Um, If someone would like to start learning more about containers and orchestration, where should they start? Uh, I think Docker at least has really good tutorials on their website and, and Kubernetes I don't know about tutorials, but at least the documentation is, is pretty good. So I think the best way to learn about this is just to get your hands dirty and then start doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting Docker and Kubernetes up and running, for example, on your local laptop, it's pretty easy nowadays. For Mac or Windows, you just need to install Docker. Yeah. And by a click of a button, you can have a Kubernetes cluster running on your own laptop as well. So that's, that's I think, the best way to get started. If you don't even want to install anything, there's even websites where you can train Docker or Kubernetes in the web browser. So that's possible Mm. as well. And if you want to get more advanced, you can maybe start using one of the cloud providers as well. And it doesn't even cost you anything in the beginning because you get free credits for, for trying things out. So if you're if you're afraid that it's going to cost you a lot, if you haven't used Google Cloud before, then just create an account and and, and try it out. I think you can run a Kubernetes cluster for for free for at least half a year or a year. So it shouldn't be that costly either. So the world is your containerization oyster. Exactly. Get exactly. out there and play around. Yeah. Are there any books you'd recommend? Yeah, actually, they they are. I have, there's books by an author called Nigel Poulton. And he has written books about both Docker and Kubernetes. The other one is called Docker Deep Dive, and the other one is the Kubernetes book. And I think both of them are are great. I actually read them myself like a year ago or so, and I actually learned some something when reading them. And it was a good re- memory refresher as well, if you can say so. Nice. We are bookending this uh, podcast with some chat about books. Um, Severi, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you very much. 
and uh, we hope to have you on the podcast again hopefully thank you so much for joining us uh, do follow Epicode on social media um, if you're curious about what we're doing what we're up to um, Dila is my partner in crime and that she uh, edits the podcast and uh, does the recording and she also launched a wonderful campaign earlier this year called Humans of Epicode um, there are these uh, visual stories about the lives of Epicodians and uh, we dive deep into what makes them tick so not only what they do at work but kind of what their passions are so do check that out www.humansofepicode.com and we'll see you soon bye